Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. Join us each month to hear ideas, inspiration and practical advice from people making change through music. These conversations are hosted by me, Anita Holford of Music Education Works and Writing Services. So I'll be focusing in particular on breaking down barriers to music through communication and advocacy, but from quite a broad perspective. I really hope you'll enjoy them. And now on with the show. Hello, it's Anita here and welcome to this month's podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Helen Brooks, who is head of whole class instrumental teaching for Services for Education Music Service in Birmingham, which leads one of the largest music education hubs in England. Rather than being part of a local authority, as many hub leads are, the service is part of the Services for Education charity, which provides a range of services to schools, from school-centred initial teacher training to curriculum courses to school improvement consultancy. So welcome, Helen. It's really great to have you here. We we hadn't met before until today, but I sort of feel as though I know you through our um, linking up on Twitter and your your lovely Twitter feed. So it's it's really nice to be talking to you today. Well, it's lovely to meet you too, Anita, and to discuss all things music. And and likewise, I mean, Twitter is a is a great place, isn't it, to to meet new new work colleagues and find out what people are up to. So yeah. Very much the same for me. Oh, fantastic. So I just wanted to start by saying, how did you end up where you are today? And why is it so important to you personally? Right. Okay. Well, I am a Birmingham girl, born and bred. I grew up in Birmingham and um, I did actually go away as a student um, and studied in Huddersfield, which I loved. I ended up coming back to Birmingham and then um, staying here. So I suppose I'm a product of what was Birmingham Music Service. I learned violin as a child in primary school and that was free at the point of access at the time. So it's going back a little oh. a little way, back into the early 70s. <laughs> and then worked my way through the various ensembles with the music service, I had wonderful teachers. Yeah, and so everything that I've really gone on to achieve is really down to going to, a, you know, what's a, just a very ordinary primary school, but one that really valued music. I had a wonderful head teacher that, that, you know, valued everything that music had to offer. And then going to a, a comprehensive school, which again had a really wonderful music legacy. So yeah, coming back to Birmingham and then most, most of my teaching is a little bit of private teaching. And then my teaching then took off and I went into classroom. So I'm secondary classroom trained. So a lot of my formative teaching was, was, was classroom as a music specialist. And then a vacancy came up in the music service for a violin teacher. And then Got involved with whole class teaching and then there was an opportunity to be assistant to uh, Stuart Burney who was head of whole class at the time and then yeah things progressed and here I am head of whole class. That's a really nice perspective to have that you've got that secondary classroom teaching experience but you're managing the whole class programs sort of mainly in primary I'm guessing so that you understand yeah. the whole progression route and the importance of <laughs> Yeah. what you do in primary for secondary yeah I mean my my experience of teaching actually is it's pretty varied actually so I've but before qualifying as a secondary actually my work was in primary so oh, I was a okay. primary music specialist and then actually my PGC was in secondary which is really great actually to have had the experience of of working in both sectors and you know, learning from really great practitioners, actually, both in primary and secondary. So, yeah, and also prior to that, I did I did preschool work as well. I kind of worked across all sectors, which is which is good. And why is music so important to you? I, I sort of had music, I suppose, as a background at, at home um, from, from my mom, particularly. Um, I have a brother and sister and we 
we all played. But I think I, from a very early age, I think I understood that it was it was seen as a real privilege. You know, I came from a very ordinary sort of working class family. And the fact that all of this provision was free at the point of access meant that I was able to engage with so many more things than I think we would have been able to had it been something that we needed to pay for. And I think that's where my, my passion about whole class comes from, because if you take away barriers, then what somebody is able to potentially achieve is just could be fantastic, really. And I, and I think what whole class brings to children is that same opportunity, really. I think for me in 2021, if I was that nine year old girl, it would be whole class that would be my, my opportunity to to experience something that otherwise might be denied. And I know that you're you work for a very inclusive um, music service, so I'd like to talk a little bit more about that mm. as well um, later. Can you tell me briefly about the organisation? So it's quite unusual, isn't it? It's services for education, but it's not mm-hmm. part of the local authority. It's a charity, and so is, is there any sort of difference that that brings being a music service and a music lead within the charity? Um, services for education came about in 2012. That was when we. Um, came away from the council but I think at that time certainly funding for music well music departments within council settings was becoming quite problematic and I think it was a way of retaining the legacy that we got and the excellent work that we got so we became um, a not-for-profit charity obviously that brings pluses and, and minuses I suppose one of the downsides is you are responsible for keeping going really and you know given the last 12 months that we've had you know there have been significant pressures there But the upside is that I think it just gave us a huge amount of flexibility and autonomy, really, in how we wanted to deliver and how we could deliver. We've been able to really be flexible with our offer to schools, you know, during these difficult 12 months and also to be able to respond really quickly. So in terms of, you know, risk assessments and getting things in place, um, how we were going to get teaching out to schools when we were no longer doing face to face. I think that perhaps some music services that are still within councils probably had a more difficult time of responding just because of the, the cogs and the wheels perhaps turn a little bit slower. I think we were, we were able to respond very, very quickly. So, yeah, I mean, we have our music service, we have school support and we have our music school. So, I mean, a lot of that, we've obviously had to develop a fundraising arm for that. We also have to, you know, raise funds um, to support various projects. Uh, and so it's, a, I suppose it's, yeah, it's a very different setup. And we are, you know, we are in control of our own destiny, I suppose, really. It's definitely meant that we've been able to diversify and really extend the provision um, across all three of those services. Services for education is in a sense, an education charity and the music service mm. is part of that, isn't it? So Correct, I guess that gives yes. schools a different perception of, of you. Is, would I be right in thinking that? I think um, even though it's been a little while since we have, you know, become services for education, sometimes it's difficult for that message perhaps to trickle down really. And I, I suspect that there are still some some of our schools that, that may not realise that, you know, how we're now working. If you don't know that, you would assume that we probably would be still part of the council because actually we we carried on. Nothing nothing changed. Nothing stopped. We didn't suddenly have a whole different team. You know, if you look at our mission statement, you know, we we describe ourselves as a unique charity, bringing you know the power of learning and music to transform and enhance the lives of the children and the young people and adults in our wider community. And that's absolutely our our commitment. 
are there benefits in terms of for example you've got a school support service or school improvement service is there are there many linkages between that do you learn from them about what schools need and the challenges schools are facing and do they talk to schools about the music service yeah I mean I think definitely in terms of the two services we we do collaborate and we do work together we have fairly regular extended leadership team meetings where we will look at various projects and how those can be interlinked in some way. I mean, obviously, the work that school support carries out is wide and varied, but I think there is crossover and we see it as as a very important part of our organisation that we do collaborate and we do work together and that we know actually what each other is offering to a school that's really important that we understand the whole offer so that when we go you know if I go out to speak to a head that actually I would you know I would talk about what I can offer them in terms of all the other school support you know areas that that they can offer to the school that's really important and likewise for, for school support as well to to know that they can mention did you know you know that music service can do x y and z for you so that that's obviously really important Definitely. It's a really interesting model. Can you tell me about your whole class programmes model? Okay, so the, the model that we have always used, this is going back quite, quite a way. So it's, it was piloted first um, back in the early 200s, well, actually the late 1999s as part of the wider opportunities. And the head of service at the time took the idea of offering it to schools who were sort of going into special measures and as a way of helping them raise standards, as particularly across uh, numeracy and literacy and so on. So it started off with a pilot of just a handful of schools. We are now, I'm looking at a spreadsheet of, you know, in, in excess of about 170 schools that we, we deliver to um, across the city. So the, the programme itself is based on, uh, we'll take year four, that's it's generally year four that we work in. Mm-hmm. And then what's really important is that it goes on, then it continues as an elective programme into year five and year six. And that for us is the key to our model, that it's not a standalone the children do it just for one year, but actually they do it for one year. That's part of their curriculum delivery. But that then they are given the opportunity. They can elect to continue that instrument into year five and into year six. And the plan always is that they will then continue into year seven and year eight and year nine as they move into secondary school. So that progression element of it is key to us because we believe that, you know, while it's great to say, yes, you can learn an instrument in year four and then that's it. But to actually remove those barriers and say, well, actually, you can then continue into year five and year six as well. Really see how far you can can, can go with it. So that's the programme that we deliver. So how does that work practically? So financially, who pays when? And also practically, you know, if children are electing, so say half mm-hmm. a class wants to carry on doing a whole class, half class doesn't. What mm. happens in that classroom? Okay, so um, our our costing for the whole class for the year four is heavily subsidised by the music service. So we use part of our Arts Council England funding to subsidise that. So schools will get that at a heavily reduced um, rate for the year four. What would that be, um, do you think? Is it sort of 50% funded, subsidised, 75%? It's about not quite as high as 50% or 25% subsidised. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and so they, they will get that subsidy for the first year. So as a new school coming to us, they would get that, that subsidy. I mean, it, it works out to less than a pound a week per child for that learning. And they get an yeah. hour 
of teaching and, and the lesson itself is is we we describe it as sort of an holistic lesson really so it's learning music through an instrument so it's not so I mean I obviously teach violin um, and it's not an hour of violin. That's <laughs> um, really it, interesting. You know, yeah. it is the violin, but we do singing and we do games and we do a bit of theory and we do listening and we do appraisal and we do composition and uh, analysis. You know, so all of those really important things. And alongside that, we learn, we learn the instrument so that hopefully that brings the whole class you know, together because we we know that there are going to be some children in that class. This is not going to be the instrument for them. Yeah. You know, hopefully there's another instrument out there that, that will really sing to them. But So there has to be something in that lesson that's going to make them engage with music and think, OK, so the violin may not be for me, but I love all the other things that we've been doing. And maybe it's going to be the trumpet or maybe it's oh, going to be brilliant. the flute or whatever. So that's really important. And then. Into the second year, the school would know that we would then, um, as part of the costing, we would add the uh, five elective um, onto that. So that's a 45 minute session. And we can take up to, we, we say within the 45 minutes, we could take up to 20 children and we would divide that probably into two 20 minute lessons. Um, and that the children would come out of class to do that. And they have what fundamentally, so I suppose we describe it as small group teaching, except, I mean, if it's really popular, it could be quite large group teaching. But anyway, that's that's what we do. And then the third year, the year six is, you know, they would move up into year six and you'd get the new fives coming up from the new year four. And so the school would then have a programme that just runs year four, year five and year six. And so um, what does the school pay in year five and six or do the pupils pay or... That's entirely down to the school. Um, the, the costing to the school there is just pro rata hour, hourly rate. So in that sense, uh, the charging for that, the, the, the subsidy stays with the year four. It's not subsidised by us in year five and year six. Now, some schools will know that a subsidy from them will guarantee that the children will who want to carry on will be able to carry on and mm-hmm. they, will, they will absorb the cost there. So I suppose they offset that against the subsidy that they're getting in in year four, if you like. Some schools uh, will feel that they would make a nominal charge to parents um, and, and part subsidise the cost. And some schools may be in a position where they, they have to pass on whatever the cost is, depending on how many children are taking it up and pass that on to parents. But I would say for the large part, so many of our schools in Birmingham realise that the benefit of removing any barrier you know, to learning an instrument means that you're going to engage more children. And I think they see that as being really, really important because you have to understand it's this is different to general order small group teaching. So, for instance, you know, if 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 my if our children were still young and they were learning through the whole class um, system, I wouldn't as a parent necessarily know any very much about that because that's just part of what they do in school. And it's part of their curriculum. And OK, I might see them playing a concert or whatever, but when they elect to continue that's when the parent I suppose then first starts to become involved with that but we understand that there's some parents it might not be an absolute priority (laughs) and um, or part of their their own personal experience even and so it's whereas with general teaching if a parent wants their child to learn the cello they're making that decision for them and so that's that contract between them and the school is I suppose a little bit more clear-cut this and there's a little bit more to kind of navigate in it, I guess, from the school's point of view, from our I point bet. of view. Really yeah. interesting because it's a child electing. Do you also offer traditional sort of one-to-one or, or tiny group tuition? Yes. 
yeah we do yeah so and that and as well as you know we have classroom support going in and we have vocal teachers going in with choirs and so on so some schools will have a bit of everything really which is which is fantastic some schools maybe some of the smaller schools the whole class actually is is going to be really beneficial actually because you're hitting those kind of you know year four five and six and then anything that they might provide in-house themselves that might be you know that, that what they'll doing key stage one and lower key stage two but for some of our bigger schools yes I mean they will also order in what we call general order teaching so small one-to-one or small small group teaching interesting and then what instruments do you offer for whole class Mm, okay (laughs) we do violin we do cello we do those as um like whole class violin or whole class cello which we've done sometimes we used to do quite a lot of what we call team teaching so there would be two members of staff going in and and we could do oh, wow. um, That's great. mixed mixed violin and cello, which was lovely. So you'd have twenty violins and 10, 10 cellos. A lot of de- most of the delivery we do now is single delivery, but uh, some of those mixed classes still go on. But anyway, so violin, cello, clarinet, flute, and fife, and recorder, oh. brass. So that would generally, I suppose, be cornet or trumpet for year four. But then into electives, they then can go on to. You know, French horn, trombone, baritone, tenor horn, and so on. Keyboard, guitar, ukulele, and then we move into a really exciting um, world of you know, world music. So we've got djembe, doll, uh, mini pans. Oh, fantastic! So schools can choose if they wanted djembe whole class. Yes, or, I mean I know it's logistically it's quite difficult sorting out a whole class program with different instruments and people choosing different things I I can't even begin to imagine how you do that (laughs) logistically and you probably couldn't explain that in this podcast but if you wanted to mention yeah I don't know if you want to say something about the logistics of that I think when I go out and talk to a school the conversation would always be first of all what what do they envisage? What you know, because I mean, they know their school, they know their pupils, they know their parents. They probably have a gut instinct as to what's going to work well and what what parent. I mean, because at the end of the day, we want the parents to engage with this as well. Sometimes we have an instinct as to what we think would actually work really well in schools. And if you look at the website, there are some great testimonials from head teachers, and one in particular who talks about when Stuart went out to speak to him, and I think he. I don't know what he wanted, whether he wanted ukulele or you know, guitar or whatever. But Stuart said that he felt that brass would be great. And I think this head was slightly horrified that yeah. Stuart was kind of saying, but actually it was right, you know, for that school at that time. And it just, it was a real, real success story. And so I think, because very often heads, their experience in music can be reasonably limited as well. So when you talk about the instruments and how they work and what you do and how they're taught, um, I think that suddenly opens up like a whole new palette, really. Of Sometimes their expectation will be the same as what we would suggest. Sometimes their expectation is fine. But we might say, well, actually, had you thought about you know, this? Sometimes it's a question of putting an instrument in and it will work for a little while. And then, you know, something will just change. And, and you think, OK, maybe now's the time just to you know, switch it up a bit. So those conversations are ongoing. But you're quite right. When it gets when it starts to get towards the end of the summer term, yeah, I mean, it's it's at the end of the day, it's all down to budget, isn't it, isn't it really? And can we buy more more violins or can we buy more ukuleles? Or or actually, what I do have is a massive spreadsheet where you've got school switching instruments. And oh <laughs> and that, my goodness, I haven't found a way of that not becoming completely bonkers, really. But it, it in the end, it all works out. It's fine, and we and we get there. And I would say that I can't think of a school 
that hasn't actually been able to have what they've what they would really like for their oh, that's amazing people. so we make it work <laughs> talking about logistics um how successful mm. is this whole class program is is it growing um and what have you learned about what schools want and expect and um, i guess i should mention the model music curriculum as well in there just yeah drop okay. that in. yeah <laughs> I mean, it has been a programme that has grown year on year, which is obviously really encouraging. I think there have been reasons probably in the last, well, I suppose last year, I mean, if we talk about the year of COVID, then that was obviously a a fairly unique year, really. And while actually the number of schools themselves didn't drop hardly at all, actually, the amount of time that we saw being brought in by schools was obviously impacted. But to be fair, our schools are amazing and, and have really stood by us and continued to support that provision. And it was actually only with whole class in this last lockdown that we were able to, to do that. Yeah, please fire away yeah. and tell me about what happened. Like, yeah. How do you do whole class online? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so of course, I mean, it was that Monday, wasn't it? You know, the first, first Monday of term where many of us were in, in set. Um, you know, music services and, and schools alike. And then obviously, you know, the announcement was made on that Monday evening that we were going back into, into lockdown, which um, was, um, I suppose, partly expected, but just, I think we'd already anticipated. And we'd also had some experience with schools for various reasons, not being able to have whole class in from September through to Christmas. So but especially schools that had woodwind and brass, for instance, for obvious reasons that there was um, issues there, but also some schools, they didn't want instruments going home and coming back. So I think we were already kind of ready to go, really. And so what we did, we just the off went out to schools. They could either have pre-recorded lessons um, or they could have, I mean, for some schools where the children were at home without instruments, obviously, we, we then either d- deliver pre-recorded lessons um, where we could do activities with them at home um, and use the school platform um, or send lesson templates home where the schools would deliver that to the, the children at home. Or we did remote live. So our staff actually kind of zoomed or teamed into schools um, with the children in schools, you know, key, uh, the children of key workers or vulnerable children, or our staff went into schools and zoomed out to the children at home and delivered a lesson with, with them having their instruments at home. So the offer was very varied and we knew that it would have to be a bespoke offer, school on school, because schools have got a variety of setups really in how they were educating the children at home and those children who were in, in school as well. But this time round, we we were able to to make that offer to to school. So actually, it just carried on. For my own part, I did some project work around uh, Doctor Who, and we did some composition, and the children recorded little snippets of sound and kind of emailed it to me, and we we did our our own Doctor Who composition. So a variety of of methods, really, uh, so that once we were back in school, we just picked up from where where we'd left off. But, uh, you know, that's I suppose that's going back to when, when I talked about the start about flexibility of offer and promptness of response, really. I think as a as the organisation that we are, we were able to to run with that really, really quickly. So that was that was great to be able to just I won't say carry on as normal, but to have the, the, the capacity to to carry on. It mm. sounds like you sort of thought of every possibility that a school might want and then delivered it. So on demand, live yeah, I think we, yeah. yeah, we tried to meet them where they were. And there were obviously some schools for whom that was, you know, the logistics of that were just very difficult. I fully understand why. And the offer was there. We were ready to go with it. 
you mentioned about um, young people being at home without instruments and that just reminded mm. me to ask you a really simple question about your whole class is do children take the instruments home yes they do, ah, yes, they right, do. right from they the do. first whole class in year four that's brilliant uh, yeah, I mean, I might with with my instrument. I think there's always, a, you know, a, a handful of weeks where you're teaching them, you know, how to look after it, how to hold it, what not to pull, twist, <laughs> yeah. pull off, whatever. But we, the aim is that by October half term, the instruments would then be going home, um, so that they can work on those those techniques and skills that we've that we've been covering in class, and they can share what they're learning with the. Um, you know, the people at home and that it becomes a really a true experience of music so there will be some reasons sometimes why instruments don't go home and uh, we are sympathetic to that and some instruments so keyboard for instance in year four can't but once they elect then they get a keyboard to take home and so some of the bigger percussion instruments as well yeah. but for all of the others then the, the parents have a letter just to explain how to look after it you know and then just to, to say we're happy to have it at home and in, in when they elect in five and six, does that mean mm. another sort of practical financial question? Does that mean that they have a separate higher cost or the school or the parent has a separate higher cost or is that all bundled no, in? we don't. Yeah, we don't. We don't charge oh. for the instruments. The instruments are, are, are free. That is amazing. What, an, what a fantastic offer. Before we move on to inclusion, um, mm. I have a question from Ben O'Sullivan of the Music Works, which is a community music charity in Gloucestershire that also runs whole class programmes in technology. So they run iPad whole class programmes. And I should say thank you to Ben for providing quite a few of the other questions for this interview as well. Mm. Um, and he asks, is there a world class model of whole class? What would that look like? Has anybody really nailed it? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think having looked at other models and then looking at ours and while I appreciate that different parts of the country will have different needs I mean I think we have to be sensible about that really you know and trust the people who are arranging uh, this this provision I would say the reason that I'm going to say that I think as is one of the best that I've seen is down to the progression part of it. Mm. I think that shows a, an absolute commitment to saying to a child, for as long as we are working with you, we will give you the opportunity to be the very best that you can be for as long as you want that. I can't think that you can do any better than that for a child. I think any model where you've got that progression element you know, has to be the one that is is really doing the business. I see on your website it says that you have continuation rates of over thirty four percent into mm. year five. So that's a useful figure to know. Do, do you happen to know if it's what the continuation rate is from year six to seven? Because that's a really difficult time, isn't it? Transition. Yeah, I think um, I don't. In in all honesty, I mean, I can yeah. I can talk about it, and I, I would say that it's. It's never as high as we would want it to be. And we have done a lot of work around this, actually. We, we have our transition data that we, that we collect so that we, we gather that data in from our year sixes. We find out, you know, where they're, where they're off to in September. That information is communicated to schools so they know potentially who they're, you know, who they're getting. And, and actually, we've, we have some great projects um, that run during the summer term across both primary and secondary. So consortium orchestras or ensembles where the children can come together of a wider age range than you might normally get. 
so the, the younger children have got that experience of going into the into the secondary school and just seeing what it's like and with a hope that that will make them you know they'll see the secondary school children playing and think okay so it's you know they still play you know when I go yeah. to secondary school there are still musicians there and and I think it's catching them really quickly and some of our schools and there's one school that I teach in secondary school and and they've got a really excellent track record record actually of keeping the children going they get them in quickly in year seven get them into lessons we will also between ourselves I suppose colleagues if we know that one of our colleagues teaches in secondary school just give somebody a heads up you know that you've got somebody you know going in there and just get them involved with music as quickly as possible but I think probably a lot of people would say that transition to six and seven is a tricky one yeah um, there are other reasons as well, I suppose, sometimes things that children have been able to enjoy in primary school doesn't seem to be a priority to, to, to you know, to continue into secondary. And actually, sometimes I think parents sometimes see, you know, some things as, oh, well, they do that in primary, but, you know, we don't, <laughs> you know, it's not on their secondary radar. And I think it's kind of changing that conversation, isn't it, really, about actually it doesn't have to stop at the end of year six, it can it can carry on so we try and do as much as we can to make that transition really work for the for the children and work closely with our with our schools so I wanted to move us on to inclusion how do you bring inclusion into this work what's training do your staff have for this and is there anything that you sort of put in place I know that some you, you mentioned that you sometimes have two teachers in mm -hmm. whole class which obviously must help with with sort of supporting people who are struggling but yeah so so tell me a little bit about um, how your whole class is inclusive yeah so we do whole class teaching in a number of our special schools some of that is uh, in some of the schools that work in particularly schools we're uh, with PMLD this the groups are very small obviously much smaller than than um, in mainstream but for instance I teach in um, a school just down the road which is not mainly for autistic children though there's a, a sort of a, a, a mix of children with with a variety of, of additional needs but that's delivered as a whole class violin lesson so that class would be I think it's about 14 in that class so a slightly smaller number but actually uh, with those children I, I deliver all the stuff that I would normally deliver about maybe in a slightly different way and and the outcomes are obviously slightly different and the needs of working with the children there's, there's a lot I suppose a lot more one-to-one -one work in in that sense within the whole group setting but we in terms of our inclusion training so we we work closely with Adam Ockelford and the University of Roehampton with their Sounds of Intent course which I do mention from time to time because I was lucky enough to be supported in taking that course um, so it's a year-long course of training our teachers, training our staff to work with children with, um, with additional needs and with, with special needs. So that's a postgraduate certificate. And so Associates uh, for Education um, have supported between two and four people for the last few years. Uh, so funding is put in place to, to pay for that course and to train um, members of staff up specifically to deliver in, in special schools, so schools for the deaf, I teach in a secondary school that is purely for children, students, sorry, with um, uh, who are autistic and profound, um, profound autism. And so that's delivered as a whole class music lesson. And so, yeah, we do also work closely with OMI. So one handed oh, yes. instruments. And we've mentioned um, earlier on when we were chatting uh, about uh, Midlands Arts Centre, Mac makes music. 
actually, interestingly, we, um, so Sophie Gray, who's our inclusion lead, and Stuart and myself have been in conversation with um, Creative United, and they are doing, have been doing some research um, with another music hub with Nottingham around the extra support and provision for working with children with additional needs, special needs, and, and whether actually putting in extra support is needed in mainstream um, so this is Absolutely. an area we've been, yeah, we've been looking at and I'm very I think as somebody I've always been really yeah really interested in inclusion partly from a just a, a sort of a personal experience point of view really but so when I talk to staff um, I'm very keen for staff to have a very you know a very good eye for for those children who actually on paper may not have any statements of any of any description at all and school wouldn't necessarily tell you anything about that particular child but actually you spot them in the classroom just because of maybe the way that they are interacting or maybe the way that they're not interacting and to make sure that you are being open to seeing children who maybe need some some additional help or that you might need to speak to the class teacher and say can you just tell me a little bit more about the lad that's sitting you know in that desk or the girl that's sitting just to the left is there anything I need to know and very often there is <laughs> they just haven't thought to necessarily tell you I mean it could be anything from noise sensitivity for instance you know um, so sensory overload is a real issue and so it's anything from that to children who are in mainstream but who have physical barriers um so I was in conversation with the school about three years ago where in the next cohort the year four cohort there was going to be a pupil who only had one arm but actually the instrument that they had in school for whole class was guitar so so obviously we had to think about that and you'd think that that would be well why wouldn't you you know, why wouldn't that be on anybody's radar? But actually, there's so many other things that schools are thinking about. But <laughs> until you actually get there, sometimes it's only when you're suddenly presented with that that schools think, "All oh, right, okay." You know, but having the forethought actually to thought about it, and we could was well, okay. So, shall we put another instrument in next year? You know, so that actually, or is there a way around? Can we go to OMI and and see if there's something that they can do for us? So that actually, it's about inclusion and equality of experience and why shouldn't that child be able to experience playing a guitar is there something that we can do for them so I think we're very much about making making everybody's experience it doesn't have to be different for some children we can make it the same but we just have to get the right things in in place for them and I'm really interested in what you said about you trying to encourage your tutors to be differentiating and have those sort of antennae mm. out all the time about young yeah. people who might struggle to engage in learning for a range of different reasons. And yet yeah, often they don't have a statement, but the teacher who knows them well will know that they have dyslexia or autism or they simply have some emotional difficulties or something yeah. happening at home. All those, the whole range of things that can affect kids' learning. Do your tutors have any sort of formal coaching or tutoring in that or, or do you just sort of Im embed it in your regular training yeah I mean with our twilight sessions um we will over the year we would have one or two of those that would be specifically about you know delivering whole class and the challenges that come with that because 
I think, you know, when you go in and deliver a whole class, you you are a class teacher. At that point, you are a class teacher. And, and that brings with it a huge number of responsibilities, actually. You know, it's very Absolutely. different teaching to small group teaching. And I'm aware that sometimes, you know, we are sending in very experienced teachers. And sometimes we're sending in, you know, some of our younger members of staff who are absolutely brilliant but don't have you know huge amount of experience and definitely not in classroom so I'm really keen for them to have as much expert input to their CPD that we can give and whether that's by anecdotal experience so you know this I mean I'm just thinking of one one lesson that I gave this is going back a number of years now in, in a whole class and I, there was a little girl sitting sort of in the middle of the, the four or five rows of children and every so often she would she would look away. And it was only because we'd um, had we'd had a session with somebody around non-epileptic seizures. And I realized, and all the, the seizures that they call absences. Mm-hmm. And I realized that actually what was happening with this pupil was that she was having these absences, which only last for a few seconds, maybe. What that means for that pupil is that for the time that they're having that seizure or that absence they're not hearing or you know aware of what's going on so if you if you didn't spot that and then you ask them to do something and that pupil then doesn't do what you've just been explaining for the last you know for the last five minutes do you see what I mean so I think yeah. it's I'm really passionate that we are open to all of those things you know you've got to have your eyes and your ears all the time and there are lots of other situations that I could talk about I mean obviously we're a multicultural multi-diverse city and there are sensitivities that we have to have around that when we're delivering there's a whole range of of expert sensitivities that that I want our staff to be armed with so that they can be the very best that they can be for the pupils that they're teaching definitely and it's such a lot to know there's such a lot lot of um, possible things that you have to know Mm. and if you you know go through primary teacher training then you get to sort of do elements of that and learn a little bit about different learning needs etc but but as a a sort of music tutor you you often don't get that until you get into the job and then have this this type of training on the job so I you know appreciate it's a a really rewarding but incredibly challenging job as well being a class tutor so I wanted to move us on to uh, marketing communications Mm -hmm. and it's also one of the things that I notice most about about your organization hubs are meant to be partners with with schools providing services to support children young people in many ways but it does sometimes seem as though we're having to sell into schools Um, Mm -hmm. and I and I just wanted to if you could tell me a little bit about how you market your offer because to me it looks like you have quite a sales focused operation from what I've seen on your on your website and on some of your emails it feels very mm. very um, slick sounds sounds like a criticism it it's, <laughs> it's a positive you know it's a, it mm. looks really professional and, and I know that from some of the things like your your head of service did a lovely video the other day on the website about the importance of music and and I know that you have a, obviously you have a relationship and I guess sort of values-based advocacy approach as well so just interested to hear about the balance between those two things for your organization yeah I mean I, I think it, it is about getting that balance I mean obviously for us as a, as a charity that is really key and the two have to work hand in hand, really. So I suppose what we get from schools and the buy-in from schools, which is obviously, you know, we want that because we want to continue those relationships with the schools that we've had for decades. That actually allows us, you know, that's absorbed and then allows us to then go on to offer 
so much of the provision that we you know we're able to provide that is free then to the same customers so our area ensembles you know that we run across the city which are completely free and then our central ensembles which are free which are sort of grade three onwards up to grade eight so and again the instruments which we don't charge for so I suppose the the business that we that we generate that then funds (laughs) the the other all the other work that we do which is which which removes the barriers you know talked about earlier on and I guess the yeah, the, the branding and the, and the marketing. I mean, we we have to get that right, and it has to be clear, and it has to it has to deliver the message, our vision, and our mission statement really clearly. Uh, however, it however that happens, you know, whether it's via you know pictures or or words or um, something that we're perhaps promoting, it has to bring that same message that you know we're here for everyone in this city, and and that we will do our utmost best to to give them a, a, a true and authentic and meaningful experience. So, I mean, our, our marketing team work incredibly hard. I mean, we have a heavy sort of social media presence, but that's, I suppose, not just about selling. That's just about, you know, making people aware of what we're doing and what we're about. And that kind of goes back to what I said, you know, about when we became Services for Education and we were no longer Birmingham Music Service. You know, we are Services for Education Music Service. That's who we are now. And getting that message across and then just creating that clear and cohesive message of music, music for all. And they do that, I think, really well. In terms of communication, we this year we've launched our new online order form to schools, which, which is another step in the right direction, making it very easy for schools to order in. We have parent portals, so for the parents of children in our ensembles, so they have direct communication between our head of ensembles and, and parents. So, um, so hopefully all of that works really well together to just get the message across that, um, you know, the, the work that we're, that we're doing. And you mentioned tantalisingly your marketing team, which I'm sure some music services and hubs must be listening to and thinking, oh, if only, how many people are in the marketing team? And obviously they're, they're marketing the wider services for education. Uh, do you have somebody dedicated to music? Oh uh, we, no, we we it's it's a it's a relatively small team. It's probably we've got three people who work for marketing. So we've got three people for marketing. We've got our um, fundraising team as well, which was a team of two, and then we've got our um, communications and our comms team as well. So we've got a couple of people on that. So they all work together, and really, it's in response. So they will listen to what we what it is that we particularly want to raise awareness of, so that we're just there, really, and people don't don't forget, you know, what's you know what's going on and and what they can be in, involved with. So we're communicating with people who work with us, and also the people who might feel that they can support us as a charity as well. The income from fundraising, like from trusts and foundations or other sources, mm. does that go into the music service? Does it subsidise some of the area ensembles or the instrument hire or something like that? Uh, no, I mean, that the money there that's raised there. So, for instance, if I go back to the University of Roehampton course, for instance, it would be used to fund that or um, it might be used to fund some of our inclusion projects that we're working on. Prior to COVID, we were we'd been discussing some new projects that we wanted to get up and running. So moving into the areas of social and emotional mental health and also pupil referral units as well. So as we sort of extend our work out into those specialised areas, then certain amounts of the funding that, that would be. So we fundraise specifically for projects, maybe if we're having to have instruments. So from OMI, for instance, some of the fundraising could be used for that too. So 
so that our, our offer is, is more inclusive and, and more diverse. Brilliant. We've reached the end of our time, I think. Um, I'd love to speak to you for another couple of hours um, and ask some more questions. So finally, can you give us three practical pieces of advice or three calls to action for others delivering whole class or involved more widely in music education? Okay. Yeah. So I think, I think the first one would be for music to regain its true place in the wider curriculum Mm. and for it to be truly recognised and valued in schools. And I know that schools do value it, but I know that it gets squeezed out. It's not the fault of schools that that happens or has happened, but I would like to see it just be able to take its place at the table again as an equal partner with other subjects. Um, My second one would be for PGC students to really have a better experience of training, of teaching and delivering music so that every school has got teachers who who feel confident in delivering general music, you know, singing and singing games and and so on. And I think I think our PGC provision could be could be better enhanced. You know, if there was it was just a little bit more thought to given to what teachers need to have confidence in doing, so that again, music can be at the heart of a school, not just when an external visitor, you know, like myself, comes in, but that it's there all the time. Um, and my third one, I would just like a recommitment, you know, to the whole class program. Um, alongside all other aspects of delivery so that what we provide as music education hubs and music services across the country that it's what we can provide is rich and varied and exciting and truly engage our young people so that it becomes a meaningful part of their life for the for the rest of their lives oh that's brilliant Helen thank you I don't think anybody could argue with those um and thank you so much for talking with me today it's been great to have you on the podcast I'd like to talk to you for longer. We'll have to do another one. I say that to everybody who comes on there. Um, very best of luck. We're reconnecting with schools and pupils over the coming weeks and months. Thank you, Anita. And thank you for your time. It's been really great. Thank oh, you. thank you. If you want to read more about Services for Education, I will share the link to their website and other things we talked about in the show notes. And thank you for listening. That's the end of our show this time. Thank you for listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast and make sure to subscribe so that you get to hear about future episodes. If you'd like to be on the podcast or you'd like to know more about me and how I help music and creative organisations through communications, then visit writing-services.co.uk and get in touch. Thanks for listening and have a great week.